Hi everyone, welcome to Spanglish from Friends. At the end of the podcast, do not forget to add yourself, share and visit us on Facebook at the group English with Yola with a Y. Today, we are going to continue reading the book Becoming from Michelle Obama, chapter 9, page 113. Work during this time felt like a distraction, the thing we had to do before we were allowed to charge back toward each other again, away from the office, Barack and I talk endlessly over leisurely walks around Hyde Park, dressing shorts and t-shirts and meals that seemed short to us, but in reality went on for hours. We debated the merits of every single Stevie Wonder album before doing the same thing with Marvin Gaye. I was smitten. I loved the slow roll of his voice and the way his eyes softened when I told a funny story. I was coming to appreciate how he humbled from one place to the next, never worry about time. Each date brought small discoveries. I was a Cubs fan while he liked the white socks. I loved mac and cheese and he couldn't stand it. He liked dark, dramatic movies while I went all in for rom-coms. He was a lefty with immaculate handwriting. I had a heavy right hand scroll. In the month before he went back to Cambridge, we shared what felt like every memory and a straight thought running through our childhood follies, teenage blunders, and the thorough subtle romance that had gotten us, page 114, to each other. Barack was especially intrigued by my upbringing, the year-to-year, decade-to-decade, safeness of life on Oakland Avenue. With me, and Craig and mom and dad making up for corners of a study square. Barack had spent a lot of time in churches during his time as a community organizer, which had left him with an appreciation for organized religion. But at the same time, he remained less traditional. Marriage, he told me early on, struck him as an unnecessary and overhyped convention. I don't remember introducing Barack to my family that summer, though Craig tells me I did. He says that the two of us walked up to the house on Oakland Avenue one evening. Craig was over for a visit sitting on the front porch with my parents. Barack, he recalls, was friendly and confident and made a couple of minutes of easy small talk before we ran up to my apartment to pick something up. 
My father appreciated Barack instantly, but still didn't like his art. After all, he had seen me jettison my high school boyfriend, David, at the gates of Princeton. He had watched me dismiss Kevin, the college football player, as soon as I had seen him in a furry mascot outfit. My parents knew better than to get too attached. They had raised me to run my own life, and that's basically what I did. I was too focused and too busy. I had told my parents plenty of times to make room for any man. According to Craig, my father shook his head and laughed as he watched me and Barack walk away. Nice guy, he said. Too bad he won't last. <laughs> If my family was a square, then Barack's was a more elaborate piece of geometry, one that reached across oceans. He had spent years trying to make sense of its lines. His mother, Anne Dunham, had been a 17-year-old college student in Hawaii in 1960 when she fell for a Kenyan student named Barack Obama. Their marriage was brief and confusing, especially given that her new husband, it turned out, already had a wife in Nairobi. After they, their divorce, Anne went on to marry a Javanese geologist named Lolo Sotoro and moved to Jakarta, bringing along page 115, the junior Barack Obama, my Barack Obama, who was then six years old. As Barack described it to me, he had been happy in Indonesia and got along well with his new stepfather, but his mother had concerns about the quality of his schooling. In 1971, Anne Dunham sent her son back to Oahu to attend private school and live with, the, with her parents. She was a free spirit who would go on to spend years moving between Hawaii and Indonesia. Aside from making one extended trip back to Hawaii when Barack was 10, his father, a man who by all accounts had both a powerful mind and a powerful drinking problem, remained absent and unengaged. And yet, Barack was loved deeply. His grandparents on Oahu doted on both him and his younger half-sister Maya. His mother, Todd, still living in Jakarta, was warm and supportive from afar. Barack also spoke affectionately of another half-sister in Nairobi named Auma. He had grown up with far less stability than I had, but he didn't lament it. His story was his story. His family life had left him self-reliant and curiously 
hardwired for optimism. The fact he had navigated his unusual upbringing so successfully seemed only to reinforce the idea that he was ready to take on more. On a humid evening, I went with him as he did a favor for an old friend. One of his former community organizer co-workers had asked if he could lead a training at a black parish in Roseland, on the far south side, an area that had been crippled by the steel mill closing of the mid-1980s. For Barack, it was a welcome one-night return to his old job in the part of Chicago where he had once worked. It occurred to me as we walked into the church, both of us still dressed in an hour office clothes, that I had never thought much about what a community organizer actually did. We follow a stairwell down to a low ceiling fluorescent lit basement area where 15 or so parishioners, mostly women, as I remember, were sitting in folding chairs in what looked to be a room that doubled as a daycare center, fanning themselves in the head. I took a seat in the back as Barack walked to the front of the room and said hello. To them, he must have seemed young and loyally. I could see that they were sizing him up, trying to figure out whether he was some sort of opinionated outsider or, in fact, had something of value to offer. And this is everything for today. Have a great day, everyone, and we we'll see you tomorrow to continue reading this wonderful book.